0: Welcome to Ripcord's Cod's Cast. And now, on with the show. Hey there, kiddos. This is Papa Bear Ripcord, reporting for duty. And welcome to another episode of Ripcord's Cod's Cast. This is my very first album commentary episode and we'll be starting all the way back at the beginning we're going back to 2004 baby we're doing indoor fucking recess and of course i'll be doing the other three albums as well uh not today but in the future but let's focus on the task at hand indoor recess indoor recess my baby It's not my favorite COD's album, I gotta be honest. I like it a lot, but it's not my favorite. In fact, I like, uh, it's probably my least favorite album, aside from TPCM2, but I don't really consider that because that wasn't a full length. Talking the, the, the three big ones, Indoor Recess, Pop Culture Massacre, and Operation Satan. Indoor Recess would probably be my least favorite, but it's the most special to me because it was the first. What I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be listening to each one of these songs. We're going to listen to them together, and I'm going to share some memories, some stories, whatever comes to mind. I don't have anything planned, and I uh, will and we'll explain some of these lyrics, and we'll have a good time. So before we do that, though, let me just give you a little bit of a, a brief backstory to the album. Uh, I think I talked about this with John. Uh, if you've been following along with these episodes, you've heard some of this, so I'm not going to go too much more in detail again. We, at, well, at this point, I should start by saying it was me, Dan Raphael, and John Beeler. It was a three piece band. Those are the only three guys that ended up on Indoor Recess. We didn't have a drummer, we didn't have a bass player. We did a lot of programming. Dan did most of the programming. I did a couple of the songs myself. Dan also played guitar. John played guitar. I did vocals. We were, uh, we were very motivated, we had a lot of dreams. We thought we were going to really blow up. <laughs> we were young and, and thought that, you know, we were going to be the next big thing. Maybe not the next big thing, but a big thing within the, the metal world, I guess you could say. We, didn't, we never really thought we'd be fucking, um, you know, number one billboard charts here. But we we thought we were going to be doing this for a living. But with that said, um, before we recorded this, we kind of got to a point where we decided to call it quits. For whatever reason, I don't remember but we just decided that maybe it was time to go on with our lives, that this wasn't working out. That bothered me a lot because I hate wasted efforts. I hate wasted time. So we had spent years writing songs and playing some shows and all this stuff, and I just felt like we never even put out a CD, not a, not a real full-length CD. We put out demos and stuff, You know, some of which I've showed you, but nothing. I wanted a real CD. The whole fucking package, you know? Just, just even if we weren't going to do anything with it, I just wanted to have it for my own peace of mind to know that I had something physical to hold in my hand from all the time we spent doing this. So, I decided to make an album. And I didn't know if Dan and John would be on board. I was ready to get a whole crew of people to help me do this. But, luckily, they both wanted to do it. So, we went into the studio with the intention of just making a fucking CD, and calling it a day. I know that sounds stupid, but that's just where we were. Along the way, while we were recording, if I remember this correctly, I could be wrong, but I think it was while we were recording, we really kind of uh, decided that this was a good thing that we had going, and we should probably give it another stab. So we pressed a bunch of CDs, and we carried on. But it was kind of an odd way to start an album. We decided to go to a studio called Slaughterhouse, and the engineer there is Mark Allen Miller. And Mark has continued to work with me on every single COD's release. And I still work with him. He, did, he recorded the Plutus Huber stuff. Uh, that's how good this guy is, and that's how much I respect him and love the guy. Mark is a hired gun. He's a guy. He gets paid to produce, to record, to engineer, whatever you want to call it. But he really puts his heart and soul into everything he does. And uh, I've always considered him a part of the band. Circus of Dead Squirrels would not sound anything like it does without this guy. And there's some other demos and stuff that I could show you that are so fucking bad. Just trust me, Mark brought out the magic of CODs. He knew what we were going for, and he knew exactly how to get it. Especially with the vocals. Mark, I've recorded vocals with other people. Nobody understands me like Mark does. So. It's been an honor to work with him. It's a good memory to think about first meeting him. Uh, his studio was called slaughterhouse because it actually literally was a slaughterhouse before it was turned into this studio. So it was a little freaky. They had the meat hooks hanging on the wall. There were drains on the floor where the blood would be disposed of pretty fucking gross. And especially knowing where I stand with animal rights and everything, uh, at the time, I wasn't so big into it, but thinking back, it's kind of ironic that that was our, f- our very first album that became such a focal point for the band later. But yeah, it was a cool place. It was very, very unique. And uh, yeah, that's, that's where we recorded. I was working third shift at the time at a hotel, so um, when I think of indoor recess, the very first thing I think of is being fucking exhausted. Basically, we'd go there, we'd probably get there about 10, 11 in the morning, and we'd work all day long till about seven, eight o'clock. It would be about an hour, hour and a half, maybe drive home, probably about an hour actually. And, uh, by the time I got home, I really didn't have any time to sleep. So I would just eat whatever, get dressed and go to work for 11 out at seven. Again, didn't really have a whole lot of time to sleep when I got home and I would just jump back in the car and do it again. And I think we spent about two weeks at the studio. So, uh, I have a lot of memories just randomly fucking passing out on the couch that he had there, and uh, these guys waking me up when I had to do something. But (laughs) I I was awake for most of it. I was in a daze, I guess you could say. But uh, yeah, we had a lot of good food. We we thought we were big shots, though. You know, recording your first album, you feel like you're a big fucking celebrity. And of course, Mark records people every day, so I'm sure we were a little bit obnoxious. But... (laughs) He did a great job. He loved it. I mean, we were really happy. Mark was really digging the music. Very cool experience. One of the things I remember most about this album was how hard we were pushing things after after it was recorded and everything, and after we decided to give this a, a real big push here, and we got back into it and thought this could maybe take off. We were making press kits, and you know, a lot of CD demos, th- things like that, you, would, you were still doing, hoping for a, a record contract, you know. Nowadays, you don't even fucking really bother with that shit because uh, nobody gives a shit, you know. You got to pretty much already be willing to uh, make a shit ton of money on your own and then some fucking asshole would want to come and swoop in and take everything from you, so everything's kind of DIY now. But back then, there was still the hope of uh, somebody to come in and save you, you know, take you to the next fucking level, whatever the hell that means. But uh I remember we used to send the CD out to a lot of magazines for review. I remember there was a thing called Industrial Nation, I think. I don't know if it's still around, but it was the most backhanded compliment I've ever received and I've never forgot it and it's actually kind of funny <laughs> as as shitty as it really is, but they gave the CD like a mediocre review but then this one thing they said always stuck with me and i think i used to use it as promotion still as even though it was kind of a uh, an insult it, it was also kind of awesome they said far too talented for the idiotic songs they create <laughs> i don't know there's just something kind of classic about that you know it's like a part of me is like you know what fuck you but at the same time, it's like, well, he's saying, we're really talented, though. And within a lot of the songs in Indorises were pretty idiotic, I guess. You could make that argument if you're like, a serious, you know, Goth, dark, industrial type, you know. can't take a fucking joke, but you never forgot that. That's one of the highlights of the album for me. One last thing I'd like to mention before we get to these tracks here. What I'm trying to do for these album commentary episodes is at the end, of each one I'm going to be playing something related to the album that was unreleased so for example with the pop culture massacre and operation Satan we actually have a song that was supposed to be on each one of those albums that got cut pretty much last minute I never got to the point where I wrote lyrics or recorded vocals but they were pretty much good to go to get to that point point. And for whatever reason, we felt like we already had enough tracks or we didn't think the track was strong enough to make it to the album. On both albums, there was one song that we just decided to fucking cut loose. So I will be playing those songs during those episodes. And I'm sure I can find something for TPCM too. But for Indoor Recess today, uh, we don't have a song that was cut from the album. There were a few that we decided not to use, but we did use them later on either uh, Pop Culture or uh, TPCM2. So I don't have anything like that to show you. So since I already have a song for pop culture that was unreleased, I'm going to play something related to the pop culture massacre at the end of this episode because a friend of the band, uh, Noah Buchanan, who has his own studio called uh, Mercenary Studios, he did a remix of Prizefighter that was supposed to be on TPCM2. But... I remember when I heard this thinking that it wasn't so much of a remix as it was a new mix. He did kind of switch things around, but he didn't do your typical kind of remix with it, but it did kind of show us a different way of hearing the song. And I remember thinking, well, this isn't really a remix, but goddamn, it sounds really good. It just sounds much heavier and bolder than what we typically sound like. So I think it'd be cool for you to hear that. I've, I've always loved what he did here. And, uh, We never got to use it on anything, so I'll play that at the end of this, too. So make sure you stick around after we're done to hear that as well. Oh, and yes, there's one other thing I should mention. You already heard this in the beginning, and probably didn't know what the hell it was. But throughout this episode, I will be playing clips from two cover songs that we did the programming for, but never finished, never released. Um, You already heard a little bit of Beds Are Burning by Midnight Oil. You'll hear the rest of that throughout the episode, and you'll also hear "Safety Dance," that fucking classic song from the '80s that I don't even know who the hell sang it off the top of my head. a Little something extra for you, a little gift for tuning in. So, with that said, let's let's get on with the fucking music here. Let's start it up. The first song in Indoreesos is eight-bit piece of shit. It's about Super Mario Brothers, basically. It's about Nintendo. I mean. The, but it's more specifically about Super Mario Brothers. And this song is interesting because it's probably our most well-known song. This is the song that everybody always wanted to hear live, and uh, it's a cool song. I would get sick of playing it live sometimes because, you know, you write new albums and you hope people like your new shit more than your old shit, but (laughs) I'm flattered that people liked the song so much. This song was originally called Raw Stinky Sex. I know that's pretty raunchy and immature, but that's what it was called. And uh, I don't know why it was called that, because I never wrote any lyrics for it like that. So we just thought it was a funny title, I guess. It wasn't until we went back and started uh, finalizing things for the, for the studio when we were getting everything really ready to go, uh, we started playing around some other effects, and Dan ended up getting some kind of like... Uh, like video game type sounds and we were laughing oh it sounds like a video game and and of course i took it quite literally and i said well it sounds like a video game it should be about a video game and they dan and john thought it was the dumbest fucking idea they really did they thought it was a moron and they were wrong so fuck you guys and yeah I, i that was my inspiration just um by accident having some sound effects that sounded really shitty cheesy and uh yeah i decided to go with it and i'm happy i did i'm really happy because otherwise it would have been just a song about a bunch of horse shit so let's take a listen to this son of a bitch oh this sounds of my youth right there kind of interesting this guitar right here this main intro uh the the local radio station the rock station in connecticut was called wccc and they actually use that for uh, like promos and intros, so kind of cool. I guess you could say it was the closest we ever got to having a radio hit. Now I'm just saying yeah here, but I think I was supposed to say jump. That's what the lyrics were, but I guess I just felt like saying yeah. Way to start, by threatening Mario. Here we go. Come with me back in time. Now, I don't know if Nintendo came out in 1989, but I think that was the year I got it. So, this is a very interesting uh, way to start with a verse. Mario's mustache tickles Luigi's asshole. That's another thing that Mark helped me crack. The original lyrics were uh, two Italians in a Chinese world. Thank God he caught that. He's like, uh, Matt, I believe Nintendo's Japanese. So he said, well, just stay Asian. So thank you, Mark. Saved me from being a fucking dumbass again. Of course, everybody always wanted to get the fire flower and get the firepower. You want to jump. We've all been through this shit. Blown in the cartridge, blown in the system, and Yeah, it was a. We had it rough for you fucking kids of today. You don't know what the hell the hard times are until you have to stop your goddamn video game, keep popping that cartridge out and blowing on that shit. What a fucking pain in the ass. Interestingly enough, I would never put stickers on my controllers. Even as a kid, I was a freak about the condition of things. I wouldn't do that, but know a lot of people that did. And of course, anybody that's played Duck Hunt knows what the fuck I'm talking about here. Stupid assholes made it so you can't shoot the dog. Yeah, I don't know how many levels in with Duck Hunt, but holy shit, all of a sudden those fucking ducks would be going nuts. And you would, I don't know, you thought by getting real close to the screen so you could be quicker, but I don't think the sensor worked, so you'd end up even being shittier by doing that. So I sucked at Duck Hunt. I used to kind of, I think I would constantly reset and just play the first few stages. One of the uh, band members, Jay, J-Lo, he always thought he was saying, you're going to find you in a fortress of death, but it's actually a pipe smushed up dead. <laughs> and this is of course a reference to when you would get through one of those crazy castle levels. You got, you know, Bowser shooting the fire at you the whole time. You got those fucking fire spiral things that, you know, you get all the way to the end, and then it's some fucking mushroom asshole again, and you're thinking, where the hell is Princess do Moment of clarity here. You must be retarded for writing a song about this shit. It's just, uh, you know, it's debatable whether that's true or not. I don't know what those things are called. I know that I, I used to have a, a coloring book of the Mario characters and they had all their names. I don't remember what the squid well blooper I think his name was. The fucking squid thing was funnier. Cause let's be honest, how many people really know the names of these fucking things? You know, you know, Koopas and Goombas and all that shit, but Bullet Bill, you know, but I don't know. What is it? Now, there's a lot of Nintendo samples in this song, but uh, they always kind of bother me. I don't think they really cut through. Yeah, well, you can hear that one right there, like the Mario uh, getting the mushrooms. Yeah, actually, you can, you can hear them pretty well. I love the end of this because it kind of reminds me of the old Toilet Duck days. Dan does this really fast upstroke guitar here, which is pretty crazy to watch him do this, actually. Dan was a, an amazing guitarist. He could play really fast and uh, pretty pretty solid. Not the kind of guy that needed to copy and paste a lot of stuff. He would just play it all the way through. So. And that is A Piece of Shit. It's a pretty self-explanatory song. I don't think there's too much I need to say about the lyrics themselves. I mean, it's a, it's a goofy, wacky, stupid song. Hold on one second. We gotta hear this. If Dan ever shuts the fuck up. So uh, yeah, that was a it was one of our wackier songs. Uh, Cod's has always been the kind of band where we kind of go back and forth. There's always some humor. Indoor recess was different. We had some serious songs and we had some really wacky songs. From then on, I think we tried to do more of a blend of the two. But on this album, it was it was very uh, distinct. There were very separate things. There's um, a couple other songs like this that are just silly and stupid and funny, uh, and this was definitely one of them. So. You know, a really good song, um, I think, for us. It's a blast playing that live. It's the very first song on our very first album, so it's kind of funny that that's the one that people kind of remember us for. <laughs> the next song is called Plastic Messiah, and uh, this was a song that I wrote. It was the only song I ever wrote on guitar, actually. I didn't write many of the COD songs myself, so this was one of just a handful. Um, and like I said, this was the only one I actually tried to play guitar. I didn't play guitar on the track, but this was the first song I wrote from guitar and then we programmed around it. And that was kind of the the way we did a lot of songs. Sometimes it started with a guitar riff, like Utopia Burning, for example, Dan did the whole song, just playing guitar and then he programmed around it. But typically we would do the keyboard uh, programming first and then we'd throw guitars on top of it. So this song, um... This is, I guess you could say, a little bit more of a serious song, but it's it's very basic, it's very simple. It's kind of a fuck you type of song. But we're going to listen to it anyway. Ready? Here we go. This is another song that Mark did a lot of cool stuff on. Uh, It didn't really sound this good when we came in with it. I, this is this song's kind of weird because I I was kind of thinking about this earlier today. I don't really know where the hell my head was when I did this because I'm thinking I don't know if I'm mentioning all these things wrong with society and then somehow I don't give a shit what you think about me. I, I don't really make the connection now, but um, well, there you go. None of you mean a goddamn thing to me, so I guess it's like a fuck society kind of song, right? anthem yeah just I guess social commentary on how people just lead meaningless lives and uh, somehow I'm bothered by what they might think of me though I I don't know what the hell that means I love this part here if you wouldn't read the lyrics you would never know what the hell I'm saying here but I'm saying this long drawn-out dramatic part is actually me Saying, go fuck yourself, worthless asshole. Which is great. Corporate fucks, you're living a lie. Other people's money trapped in your eyes. That's great. Yeah, it's very uh, straightforward. I don't give a shit what you fucking think of me. This is the product of an absent God. Now, that's an interesting line because uh, I guess that makes sense, but I wasn't really much of a religious person, so Did I, was I implying that the, we need God in our lives? I don't know. It's kind of a weird way to put it. i love that stuff here this is the name of the song but stuff your plastic messiah under a murdered tree which is a reference to christmas isn't that lovely just ruining everything you love but it's supposed to be you know how fake we all are and <laughs> that's a sample from the burbs my favorite movie I love the drum sounds in this, too, the snare, that's... It's a great song, actually. (laughs) Wow. pretty goddamn intense here. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Okay, I don't have a whole lot to say about that song, but uh, holy shit. Yeah, that's a short one, huh? That was, what, three and a half minutes long. And um, I'm sorry, I felt like it was being pretty quiet during that, but uh, I don't know. It's just... I don't give a shit what you fucking think of me, okay? I don't give a shit. You got nothing to fucking say. None of you mean a goddamn thing to me. There you go. Maybe it was foreshadowing doing this podcast, you know? I don't know. I'd have to ask my younger self. But anyway, so that's uh, Plastic Messiah. Let's move on because that one wasn't that interesting. I'm sorry. Uh, This is Heaven Can't Help Us. This one I got a little bit more to tell you about. This song we thought was going to be our hit. We thought this was going to be the big song in the album that everybody loved. Um, And, of course, it ended up being 8-Bit. But we thought this was really hooky, you know, catchy, and um, we were really proud of it. And this actually used to be uh, Cattle Prod from Toilet Duck that we listened to on another episode. And it was always one of our favorite songs that we did. Very simplistic kind of song. It's not very, you know, there's not a whole lot to it, but we just always loved it. And uh, we thought everybody else would agree. And I will say that of all our songs, this is one of the least mentioned songs we've ever done. So we were completely fucking wrong. And it's really hilarious how you can just not predict how people will react to things. I mean, I think we thought people would like 8-Bit because it was about Nintendo, but we didn't see this one coming. We, We never heard shit about this song, and they still haven't. No one ever talks about it, so we were fucking wrong so let's take a listen to this and by the way mark felt the same way so it wasn't just us but apparently no one else did i love this little intro this is uh we almost cut this but because it goes on for quite a while but we decided to keep it because we don't really do anything like this uh in any other song and um Really cool, electronic, kind of industrial moment for us, so I'm glad we left it in. Now, I'm a Catholic, so I was raised in a pretty strict Catholic family. I used to be pretty religious growing up. I actually thought about being a priest at one point, so this is uh, a lot of references made in the song are specific to Roman Catholics. Communion. I don't know if you heard that, but this was at a point in my life too where I was kind of maybe coming to the realization that there wasn't a god, and uh, yeah, it was it was me kind of questioning everything and. I guess more of the mindset of how could there be a God with all these horrible things going on in the world? Why would a God make the world this way? Why would a God let these things happen? And um, maybe dreaming of of a better place where there was a loving kind of God that we envision here that everybody wants to believe exists, but knowing that there is nothing. Yeah, I just made a reference there gods for little kids basically you know it's kind of like Santa Claus yeah I think that's probably where I was at because here I am I must be dreaming tell me about this god dreams murdered my soul I don't know what that means but that's just fucking stupid a lot of this I tried to write because cattle prod we had been doing for years so I tried to kind of Change the lyrics, but keep the same style, like vocal style and things like that. So uh, I think it worked, but that's why some of these things were, were kind of mildly changed just to make it work for this whole theme here. This part's kind of cool too, because this was the first time I really tried to sing. Um, up until this point, I was doing a lot of the uh, growly kind of vocals and yelling and things like that, and. Uh, I took a crack at singing and I was very rough still, but uh, you know, I did better than I thought I would because I didn't consider myself a singer. This sample's from uh, Amityville Horror. And here comes Dan's epic solo. Yeah, this is the same solo he did back in Toilet Talk in high school. I've always loved this. This this actually is making me feel really good right now. This takes me back to a, a really good place in my life. I had a lot of hope at this point in my life. <laughs> yeah, see, we just thought this was really hooky. Like, we thought this was, I don't know. I just thought people would really catch on to this and it never happened. <laughs> See, even now, I listen to the song, and I think it's one of the best songs on the album. But, I don't know. Fuck me. Well, this song, too, was tough to mix, this one, because the guitar riff was so cool. It was really catchy, too. But there's really some awesome programming done in this one. Maybe some of Dan's best programming on this album, I think. And uh, we we had to make a decision if it was going to be a little more guitar-heavy or keyboard-heavy. And I think we did decide to go a little bit keyboard heavy on this. So I wonder, I don't know. It would be interesting to hear if the guitars were kind of pushed up a bit, if it would change the the sound of the song at all. Yeah, that would be cool to hear, actually. I'm trying to listen to the guitar right now. And this goes back to what I was saying in the beginning, you know, believe in what you see. Starvation, rape, children suffering. So, yeah. That's the reality of the world, not this make believe God. Take control, kill your soul, um, get rid of this whole idea of God, pay attention to the real world. Yeah. Very, uh, Uplifting song. Ah, yes. Sea Monkey Kill. The oldest cod song. If you've listened to the other episodes, you've actually heard this song twice already. It was called I Hate You. It was uh, used in Toilet Tuck. Two different versions of it. This was the third version of that song. And this time I decided to do a complete overhaul. And I think I decided to do this because this was one of the last if not the last, I think this and A Selfish Prayer were the two songs that I wrote lyrics for last. I really struggled with this one. I kept putting it off, putting it off. I knew I didn't want to do the same thing the way it was in Toilet talk, but I just didn't know what I wanted to do with it. And I think what happened is we did a bit Piece of Shit early on, and we loved the way it came out, and then I think we kind of got hung up on this whole character thing and pop culture stuff. and you know, we would do that a lot more in the future. But at this time, I think that was the first time we were, like, kind of really loving that whole idea and loved the way a Piece of Shit came out. So I kind of wanted to do something to go along with it. So I finally decided to use the Sea Monkeys. A lot of people probably don't even know what the hell Sea Monkeys are. If you didn't grow up in the 80s, I think they actually came out maybe in the 70s or something, maybe even earlier than that. But they were pretty popular when I was growing up. They tried to make a comeback uh, in the 90s. I don't think they're still around. It's a pretty disgusting thing, actually. They're, as a kid, I didn't understand what the fuck they were. You know, my brother had them and, and they never hatched. So it just seemed like a crack of shit to me. But I guess they're real animals. I mean, they're real, you know, creatures. And uh, I, I don't know if maybe they did hatch and you have to, I, they, they give you this little. Um, Magnifying glass to see him. It was, you know, it just seemed like a scam or something, but I guess it's legit. But maybe we just didn't do it right, or maybe we just didn't know how to actually look at him. But it was always, it always freaked me out a lot. It was just something gross about it. Oddly enough, after I wrote this song, I was at some, I don't know, some weird store, like a little collectible store or something. And I swear to God, I didn't rip them off, but I saw this is when they were trying to do the comeback. I think, actually, yeah, so the comeback was, it must have been in the early 2000s, because it was after I wrote the song. Um, But it was called Sea Monkeys on Mars. And I could not fucking believe it. They must have heard my fucking song. But, you know, really, that's a pretty general thing. Just, you know, (laughs) everything's always on Mars. So I don't think they heard the song. But uh, part of me kind of thought that maybe they heard the song and got the idea. But I ended up buying it. I never used it. I kept it in the package. It's kind of like a collector's thing. And then I ended up fucking selling it on eBay like a dumbass when I was pissed broke. I really wish I kept that. It would be kind of cool to put with all my COD stuff. Eh, could have pretended that it was made, you know, in honor of CODs. But it wasn't, so fuck it. It It's probably good that I sold it. But anyway, so this song is uh, one of the weirder songs in the album. It's one of the weirdest songs I think we ever did. Fucking amazing to play this one live. It was really crazy and uh this one i had a blast doing in the studio really uh really tried some different things on here different vocal effects and got the other guys involved got some cool samples in here so let's listen to this bitch and there it is there's that i hate you riff sea monkey Monkey kill. we just keep repeating that. I mean, that's... Come on. it's so good. We gotta say it 18 fucking times. Maybe I just got lazy and didn't want to write anything more, but... I don't know. It works. And this... I don't know if people understood this. This is supposed to be like a movie preview guide. So this is actually all just like this B-horror movie about sea monkeys from Mars coming to Earth. So it's it's a song about the sea monkeys, but it's about a movie about these killer satanic sea monkeys, if you can understand that. And, as I'll say at the end, it's coming out at Christmas time, like a gremlins type of thing, I guess. This part was so, oh my god, when we used to do this live, I just got to, I didn't have the uh, the effects on my voice like it is now, so it would just be me like yelling more like I usually do. And holy shit, I would ring these screams out. It was so fucking fun to do it. And this We Love You, know No We Hate You, that was uh, consistent through every version of a song. Never change that. I guess I thought it was just that that fucking brilliant. We love you. No, we hate you. Oh, I love this part with Jack. Little uh, play on the Nimble, the Quick. Jack is now Sea Monkey shit. <laughs> you fuck you up. You fuck your. <laughs> I love this. Nibble, nibble, nibble on the little puppy's flesh. Nibble, nibble, nibble on the kibbles and bits. <laughs> I used to, I you know, I didn't really keep doing this so much through the years, but I used to love doing these really fast parts, you know. These little crazy uh, sporadic uh, vocal patterns like that. did a lot of that during this album. There's John doing some of the uh, voices there. And it's cool, too, because I, I actually got to finally use a sample from this weird Halloween uh, effects CD I had forever. It was the weirdest thing, and then we, we finally got to use a sample from that. there The guy says, Bedlam! I remember this other guy who used to go, Fighting Cots! Oh, my God, it was so cheesy. So In fact, I may pull that out again. I'm going to use that in the I'm going to find that fucking thing. And this is uh, one of my favorite parts of the song. With it, the sea monkeys are so pissed off about this kid that uh, keeps fucking with them in the tank. You <laughs> little son of a bitch! Monkey troops move. And this, uh, the movie preview guy comes back in here. <laughs> This song is so fucking weird. Oh my god. Wow, there's a lot of stuff going on here, but you can't really hear it doing this little solo thing. And that was another thing he did on every version of, uh, of the song. Yeah, you can barely hear it. And it's weird, too, because we kept all the horns. We programmed a lot of horns in that one. Sea Monkey Kill coming this Christmas. There you go. Yeah, so it's um that's almost like a you know a throwback to our original Toilet Talk is the ska band. Yeah, I think we put a lot of horns in there for that reason. It's pretty cool. I'd like to do something like that again. I always loved horn sounds and um part of the thing about let me just go off topic for a minute here. Part of the thing about CODs I think it was kind of accidental the way things happened for us, the way we developed our sound. We certainly wanted to be like a very serious, um, you know, heavy, scary type of band. I don't think we planned to be as funny, you know, and, and cheesy as we are at times. We were using equipment that we thought sounded pretty good, but as we went along, you know, and you kind of compare it to, you know, more professional artists <laughs> better produce things with better equipment. These effects sounded really cheesy, like those horns, for example. We wanted the horns to sound real. We wanted it to sound like there was real people playing horns. We didn't know any horn players anymore. We sure as hell couldn't afford to hire anybody. So we programmed a lot of this stuff, trying to recreate real sounds, make real scary sounds. I mean, you know, we didn't want to sound cheesy at all, but I think once we realized that a lot of the effects at our disposal were very fucking cheeseball types of things. We just ran with it. I think we kind of embraced the whole thing. Hey, let's make it sound cheesy on purpose. I've always loved like 80s pop music. So I kind of appreciated that whole part of it where it was like, well, it's kind of like, let's do like industrial music and you know with real heavy guitars and double bass you know industrial metal stuff but let's put some like 1980s like really cheesy type of sounds in here and it will kind of make it a little more playful so we really embraced that sound and we stopped kind of taking ourselves so seriously and we kind of opened the door to be a little more I guess uh screwy with the whole thing and I think it worked So we just said, fuck it, you know, let's have these horns sound fake. You know, let's have them sound shitty. And we're not the only band to do things like that. I mean, right off the bat, I can think about uh, Bloodhound Gang, for example, that, you know, they they do stuff like that, especially that that one song there, um, what's it, The Bad Touch or something, you know, the You and Me Baby or Ain't Nothing But Mammals. They use very cheesy horn sounds in that, and it's fucking classic. You know, it's hilarious. Like, nobody would ever expect that they really thought That those sounded like real horns you know so that's kind of the same thing we were going for and and personally i would have liked to have seen us go even further with that i've always that was always my opinion of it i think dan wanted to be more he wanted to be taken seriously as a musician and i i don't even know if he really was down for this but i used to push for this kind of shit all the time just just cheese it up man okay moving along let's see what we have next that would be bendable jesus This song, I could say, um, right off the bat, was one of the few songs we've ever done that I felt was better live than it was on the album. I'd say for about 90% of the other songs, I feel exactly the opposite way. I don't know if it's just because it was a lot of fun to play live and I just felt like it was better live, but something, I don't know, I don't know if it was heavier or if it just, I'm not sure what it was, but I I wasn't the only one that thought that. We all kind of agreed that, wow, this sounds even better when we play it live. And this is the type of band with all this programming, and especially with the drums being programmed, it was hard to recreate some of these songs live. It just A lot of them just never felt the same as they did in the album, because we're not your typical band that's in there in the studio, everybody playing their instruments. We had to take what we programmed and then tried to have people recreate it. So sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. For some reason, this song, it really came to life when we played it as a live band. So this song uh, was one of our oldest songs when we first got our um, sequencers. This song uh, we played when we were called Baby Jesus Abortion, uh, along with Rubber Ducky Fucker. I think uh, those were the only... Maybe Utopia Burning, which ended up on Pop Culture Massacre. That was originally supposed to be on Indoor Recess, but it got pushed back and we used it on the second album. Um, I know we played those three songs. And actually, we played a song called Tumor, Uh, that became Commercial Breakdown on TPCM2. Those are the only songs that I remember playing when we were that band. And we carried those songs over into this album. Uh, It was originally called Lord of the Maggots, and it it wasn't quite as humorous originally. It was more of a serious song, had a lot of the same lyrics, but it was more based on just this psychopathic killer god character. It didn't have this whole action figure Gumby Christ element to it. I rewrote it. I just thought it made it a little more colorful, a little more animated. And I don't know, when I write lyrics, especially these more funny, wacky songs, there's always a point where I feel satisfied with it. And I always try to explain it to people as it becomes colorful. I don't, it just, in my head, it seems vibrant and colorful. And I will keep redoing them and, adding these certain words and phrases and just general themes to the song to kind of liven it up a little bit and uh, i think that's what i did with this one and i felt uh more satisfied with it because it just it seemed it came to life more and uh, i drew the art for indoor recess and i drew a uh a gumby christ to go along with this the art sucked i didn't have any money to hire any kind of professional illustrator like we did down the road but um, at the time, I, was, I thought it was pretty good. But I look at it now, and it looks like shit. <laughs> but hey, you know, you got to make do with what you got. So let's take a listen to this. Now, this is awesome. This is really funny to tell you about. This, uh, in the beginning, this Jesus saves is what we're saying. And that's me John and Dan pitched up to sound like little kids and this crazy little thing coming up is Dan Raphael right here (laughs) I just remember we had a lot of fun doing that and there you go I said silence maggots that was from the original Lord of the maggots this whole first verse was from the original song so I really didn't change much about this for this album except the fact uh, I think mostly the chorus parts when I talk about the uh, the action figure Christ in detail (laughs) I love this bendable Jesus bendable Christ comes packaged with a cross and a shitload of knives Anybody who's an action figure collector would appreciate that, you know. I always love figures that come with a ton of accessories, and I just have this vision of this crazy Jesus figure that just has all these knives and, and then the big, you know, display base cross. <laughs> but he resembles a Barbie doll, just like a hoe. And this song is um, now Jesus is gay in the song. And I by no means mean that you know I'm not trying to demonize gay people at all just again just this more vibrant colorful depiction of this wild character thought it was funny to also make him gay and he was just <laughs> I don't know I was a young guy I mean maybe I wouldn't do this again but and he's an anal animal so come on you know everybody has their thing Yeah, it's interesting because like this, for I, I don't want to see your light, you haven't made anything all right, but if I should die tonight, don't want to look at you, don't even know what to say. You know, it's, it doesn't really match well with that funny kind of wacky chorus, but these were all the parts from Lord of the Maggots. So it used to be a serious song, and I just added a little bit of humor to it. Probably because I kind of liked the way these parts already were, and I thought, eh, it still works, you know. This is another kind of psychotic part here. Yeah, that was really really fun to play live that part. Yeah, it's funny like songs like this I think led to what we ended up doing on Pop Culture Massacre. Doing a lot of these pop culture references and you know all these 80s you know, childhood themes that I grew up with. We were just starting to touch upon it with uh, with this song, and, of course, "A, a piece of shit, and uh, even in Death Saves the Derelict, I guess uh, you could say, and Sea Monkey Kill. Yeah, I'm just a maggot, I'm just a piece of clay. Yeah, I, wow, there's a lot more of the original lyrics in this than I thought. Every time you lie, baby Jesus dies. Baby Jesus cries. Isn't that sad? Yeah, bitch, I'm talking to you. Now, I don't know. Am I talking to... Is that for the audience or is that for... Offendable Jesus? I don't know. Yeah, bitch, I'm talking to you. I don't know. If I offended anybody with that, I it wasn't my intention. Okay. That's a pretty wild one. Oh, and this was funny. This was somebody coming into the studio here. Oh, I forgot that this rolls right into force feed, so let's cut that. Okay. And let's move on to force feed. This one is interesting because I would put this with Heaven Can't Help Us as far as what I think are great songs, but I never hear shit about either one of them. Never. I don't think... Anyone's ever told me they like Force Feed. So maybe people just don't like this song. I like it. It's uh it's it's a you know, this album is is strange because after this, Pop Culture Massacre was very themed-based. The whole album really kind of flowed lyrically. Um and especially since we put in all these similar types of samples, and we had these PSA commercials in between the tracks at all. It was a more of a concept album. And then we did it again with Operation Satan, with the whole animal rights thing. And uh, I kind of got into the, the mode of doing things that way. I kind of liked getting my head into a place and just developing an entire album based off of that theme. Whereas this one, being our first album and not really... Sure, what we're doing it. And uh, of course, a lot of these songs were written at different times, so some of them are, were very humorous, and, and others were quite serious. And this was one of the serious songs. There's really nothing funny about this. I also think I love this album, but I don't think the lyrics for the majority of the tracks like we just listened to "Bendable Jesus," for example, and I was telling you how Some of the lyrics were from the original song called "Lord of the Maggots," and then it was kind of changed to be something different. But I left some of the original lyrics. Now, if I was to redo that, I probably would have rewrote the whole thing and based it more on that kind of toy action figure things, you know, and put more lyrics related to that in there. But I guess you know, you you learn things as you go. I don't really know. It it's weird. I mean, I'm going to listen to it. I haven't listened to it in a long time. But just kind of thinking about it now. I don't really know what it was about, and I, and I don't think listening to it is going to help me much with that. I, I, I know it was partially about taking hallucinogenic drugs. Other than that, uh, we'll have to listen and see if, if more comes to mind, but I I wrote a lot more of these kind of vague, generic songs that were just based off of, I guess, feelings and moods. and. And I guess that's cool. You know, that's how a lot of bands write stuff. And, and it's interesting because I kind of have difficulty doing that now that I find myself always trying to pick a topic to sing about when I write a song. It's hard for me to kind of just write a song based off of my emotion or just the way I'm I'm feeling about something. So I don't know. And and honestly, I think I'm better doing the topic-related songs. Um, I, I think it lets me be a little more creative because I don't think these lyrics are up there with my best work but i do love the song i know that but apparently nobody else does so let's listen let's let's find out why nobody gives a shit about force feed my poor baby force feed (laughs) we had this main uh introduction for the longest time that we programmed that we never did anything with it and we just i don't think we ever planned on doing anything and then we ended up needing more tracks for the album we went back to a lot of these things that we had started. and uh, But they, there was like the clean guitar here, the, and I, it always reminded me of Skinny Puppy, The Process, if you've ever heard that album. It's a very dark, disturbing album, and um, I really wanted to do more with the song, so we did sit down and we, we wrote a whole song based off of this introduction. But this is how the song started. I mean, so far, it just seems like uh, I have a lot of uh, half-human, half-American mutt. I don't know if this is just a song basically feeling bad about myself. I don't know. Let's see. Yeah, I love that guitar riff right there. Okay, so there you go. My mind is fried from a massive intake of psychoactive drugs. Oh, I immediately said I can't believe how fucking stupid I was, so I guess I wasn't remembering it fondly. I think this may have been more about me feeling shitty about doing acid and things like that, maybe thinking that I fucked myself up and I don't know. I'm incapable of feeling love and happiness and all that good shit. Yeah. Yeah, this is a kind of a um a pity party for me, I guess. But I'm I'm very courteous. Nothing personal. I fucking hate you. Well at least I apologize for it, right? Yeah, this is a great song. I don't know why people don't I mean maybe maybe they do like it and just don't feel like they need to tell me about it, but other tracks they've been pretty vocal about letting me know they like it. Mark, also, this is um, another time where he, you know, he, he's so good with, uh, with vocal processing and, you know, effects and stuff like that. So, had kind of a ministry sound to it, which I really was, uh, when I first heard him doing that to my voice, I was thrilled as a ministry fan. Wash this watercolor portrait of me. Eh. It's somewhat creative, right? <laughs> that makes me horse shit? Yeah. This is a pity party, definitely. Nothing personal. I'm just fucked up. I'm on a what? Soul search and power trip now? But don't think you're special because I fucking hate everyone. Oh, wow. I put some thought into this one. You know, I'm really uh, all over the place with my emotions. What's left after going insane? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Hang it up, dude. You're fucking done. Chaos conquered my brain. Yeah. I guess this is. Well, I don't know what the force feed thing is though. What is that? Force, force what is it? Force feed me with silence. Okay. I guess this is just a song about uh, feeling like you're losing your fucking mind, and maybe trying to understand why. Maybe feeling bad about the things you've done. Maybe realizing you're a fucking mess and you hate the world and you hate everybody in it. But apparently I feel somewhat bad about it because I'm offering my apologies. So, yeah, there's not a whole lot to say about that one. But I do think it's a cool song. I think it's pretty psychotic. And uh, I hope all y'all will check it out again and give it another fucking chance. Let's move on. And here we are with Death Saves the Derelict. I would put this with Bendable Jesus, this one was another one that wasn't, uh, it wasn't one of the album highlights, I don't think, but it was a lot of fun to play this one live and I think it came to life a little bit more. I don't know, it's a fun song though, it really is. It's a little different than the rest of them, I think it's more of, um, yeah, there's some different sounds in this one than other tracks in the album and it was always a really, just a silly fun song. And I wanna say, I think this was the first song I did vocals for in the studio. I'm pretty sure this was the very first song. And quick little funny story for you. Uh, We were in the studio for a while, you know, uh, laying down all the tracks, recording the guitar with Mark. Mark never heard us before, obviously. This is the first time he met us. He had no idea what my vocals would sound like. And we were an industrial band, and he has worked with a lot of industrial artists. And he was one himself. So he's very familiar with the, with the scene, with the genre. And um, when I first started doing vocals for this, I remember him saying to me, wow, I'm, I'm actually pleasantly surprised. You're not doing what I thought you would do. You know, you're not doing the typical industrial vocals. Um, you know, you're, you're doing a lot of different kind of stuff that you don't really hear in this type of music. And I, and I was, pretty, uh, was pretty happy to hear that. And... I wanted to put a lot more distortion on my voice, like most industrial bands do. Not to the point that they do, but I certainly was pushing for more. And there is a lot of effects on my voice in this album. It's a lot dirtier than the other stuff we did. But he actually kind of pushed me to back off from that a little bit. I wasn't completely confident in my abilities yet. And I think I was using some of these effects to kind of cover myself up a little bit. And he kept trying to convince me that I didn't really need all that stuff, you know, like just let it kind of be a little cleaner sounding. And I remember kind of going back and forth with him and we kind of met halfway. He did put quite a bit of effects on my voice, but there was a lot of times where I asked him to do more and he kind of suggested and, and convinced me to, to back down with it a little bit. And I'm very happy for that. And he pushed me much more in the other albums and it got a lot cleaner. And, you know, I think it works well for the album but there are definitely some parts that um, I think I probably could have even backed off a little more. But yeah, that was another thing that Mark brought to the table and uh, opened me up and uh, showed me, you know, how how much better we could be without hiding behind all this shit. So let's listen to "Death Saves the Derelict." <laughs> this is a Dan Raphael song. Oh, and I should mention, Force Speed" was written by John. Uh, Bendable Jesus was Dan. Sea Monkey Kill was John. Heaven Can't Help Us was John. I think I... Yeah, I mentioned the other ones. This is a reference to... uh, The first reference to Disney, the Lion King right there. But If I Disappeared, Would You Love Me? or do I have to pump heroin through my veins? It's, you know, basically people only give a shit about you when you're dead, fucked up, or whatever. You know, the world doesn't really seem to pay much attention to you otherwise. In my view, during this song at least. Keep flushing my toilet mouth down the drain. Keep order by labeling me insane. <laughs> yeah. Puberty is the process of perversion. The deep, dark secrets of our childhood revealed. And there's some weird, twisted shit in this one for sure. And there we go. Don't blame the internet porn, folks. Blame it on Walt Disney. Uh, truer words have never been spoken. And I guess what I'm trying to say here is, you know, I'm obviously being... Uh, you know, I'm using a lot of profanity, I'm saying all these fucked up things, and it's easy to demonize someone like me, but it's all these mainstream things that are geared towards children, all these sick little things, you know, behind the scenes that are really going on, and slips right past most people. They kind of just pay attention to the obvious villains, you know? I love this, this is a reference to when I used to take my Flintstone kids' vitamins as a kid. I wasn't cuckoo for cocoa puffs, by the way. I didn't, I liked uh, cocoa uh, rice Krispies. It just worked for the song. Now I'm a piece of shit smoking cigarettes and losing my fucking hair, right? You know, nobody could ever blame uh, accuse me of being a narcissist or being overly confident. I'm pretty uh, pretty brutal to myself throughout this entire existence of the band. Actually, there's other there's other songs where I talk some serious shit about myself. This is a reference to the Little Mermaid. Anybody who doesn't know the uh, the art for the uh, the VHS tape you can check it out online. Um, had a big cock, like sandcastle type thing in the background, which is lovely. And that again goes to the whole uh, idea behind the song of hating people like me that are blatantly obvious uh, and being offensive yet you don't see the real shit going on you don't see it you never will all right and there's death saves the derelict and let me just let me let me explain that title a little bit too I kind of kind of already have but let me just make it a little clearer um that's supposed to mean uh in the beginning of the song when i mentioned you know if i if i disappeared would you love me or do i have to pump heroin through my veins a lot of times these people celebrities you know uh, politicians all these types of people especially people you know throughout history that we didn't experience in our own lifetime you find out there was some real dark shit they were doing they were actually sometimes pretty awful people but as soon as someone dies they're just you know everybody loves them and everyone's sad you know we've seen that with a lot of people so when you die i guess all is forgiven as long as you've done something with yourself you know, everybody motherfucks people left and right when they're alive, and then the second they die, they're crying their ass off. he oh, he's a good guy. I miss him. You know, that kind of thing. So that's what the title means. And now we have what I consider to be the most meaningful song on the album, and it's A Selfish Prayer. This song is very different than the rest of the songs. It means a lot to me. It's a very personal song to me. It's actually about my dog, the dog that we had uh, growing up in my family. Her name was Roxy, she was a beagle. And uh, we got her when I was about, I wanna say I was probably about six years old. And I was scared of dogs, because we had a dog before her, Um, I don't remember him that well, his name was Max, and there was nothing wrong with him, but he was just, you know, he wasn't the most friendly dog to kids or anything, so I was a little bit scared of him. So when we got Roxy, I was a little bit intimidated, and she really—I fell in love with the dog, and um, she became my best friend, and I loved her more than anything. Growing up, it's hard to say it now, but uh, well, you know, I'll save it for the song. When with some of the, some of these lyrics are, are touch upon uh, specific moments I had with her, um, and, and obviously it's about her passing. I love that organ sound there. This is one of Dan's best songs he ever wrote. In fact, he, if I remember correctly, he didn't want to even let me use this for CODs because he didn't think it fit in with everything. And I think he was kind of building his own collection of songs. I don't know if he planned on doing his own album or something, I had to beg him to do this because I don't know, I felt a connection to it and I thought it was beautifully written. And I felt something in my heart that I could write something meaningful to this. So I'm really glad he changed his mind on that. And maybe it doesn't fit in with the rest of the songs, but it's one of my favorites on the whole album. So definitely has its place. And this is... Uh, what I'm talking about here is um, my father got Roxy uh, from a farm. She was the runt of the litter, so he got her for free. And when we, when we first brought her home, she was just sitting in the back of his van in a cage and she was pretty scared and, uh, and I was scared as well, which I just made reference to. And she's buried uh, in the place where we would sit. That's in our backyard. She had her little area and uh, she still has her little uh, gravestone there. And that's where I used to go down there when she was on her chain down there, and I'd sit with her. Pretty sad now to go back down there. And this is another song uh, where I kind of go back and forth with this whole religious thing, and uh, where I think I'm saying, I don't really believe in God, but this makes me want to believe in God, because I want to believe that I'll be back with my dog again one day. And uh, that's where the whole selfish prayer thing comes in, because I'm praying for my own... I'm hoping there's a God in heaven for my own personal desires, basically, you know. Yeah, and you know, it's funny. uh, I had Roxy when I was growing up as a teenager and everything, you know, in the hardest years of our life, I guess you could say. It's very awkward period of our life where we're trying to fit in with everything and you know a lot of times you just feel alone and, uh, and people people judge you and friends betray you and you know your dog's always there for you. Yeah I call it a selfish prayer because you know there's a lot of I guess people they have a tendency to pray for stupid things and not that this is stupid but they pray when it benefits them and so this was me coming back around to God hoping there's a God for my own selfish need to be reunited with my dog again one day and all the people that we love that we lose you know and of course uh, this is the giveaway that it's an animal even though you could not speak actually Dave, our manager there from The Angry Chair, thought this was about my sister, and he thought she was deaf or something, I remember, which is, you know, <laughs> I'll give him some credit, though. I mean, that makes sense, too, because he was, he was obviously looking into the lyrics pretty, uh, pretty seriously. Uh, this part here, give me one good reason why she doesn't deserve one last goodbye or whatever it is. Um, It's a sad story, actually, what happened here, because if I could only turn back time, I would... What did I say here? Let's see. Make this moment mine. And what I'm talking about here is... uh, You know, I was growing up, and uh, you kind of move on with your life, and I feel like we all kind of forgot about her, as sad as it is to say. We didn't... You know, I moved out of my house... My parents' house, and um, I come and visit her sometimes when I see my parents. But, you know, it's really really hurts now to think of her being out there alone and me and my brother and sister growing up and not coming around anymore to see her. And it's really, uh, we never did get to say goodbye to her. She just died one day. And it's always bothered me. It still bothers me. I feel like a real asshole for that. I wish I had came around more often for her. This part in particular is is really gets me. I don't know. Really sad. I don't think I've ever wrote a song like this again. That this was this personal. Yeah, you know, just I, uh, It's one of those things that haunts me. I'm sorry I wasn't there, like, you were always there for me. Yeah, and that's that's what I'm talking about there. It's just a lot of regret, a lot of guilt. And this could be applied to anybody. I mean, it doesn't have to be your dog. It doesn't have to be your pet. It could be a you know, family member, a friend. Uh, you never know when we're going to see somebody for the last time. So you should always... Try to treat it like it's your last time. Every time you spend a moment with someone. Something we could all work on. It's making me think a lot about people today, actually. Yeah, that's, I gotta take my own advice. Yeah, another one of those songs where we am kind of angry at God. You know, you bring us love, then you take it away. You bring us love, and you tear it away. And then I get really morbid at the end of this, pray for my death. <laughs> and I would like to think it's, uh, you know, metaphorically speaking, that I feel like I don't really deserve to live my life, keep going on when I treated something, somebody, a, a living creature that I love. Like she didn't really matter in the end. And it's, it is something that's, that still bothers me. I'm thinking about it now and I'm kind of getting upset about it. I don't know. Maybe that's, um, it's, it's probably a good reason why I ended up being the way I am with animals because I did have such a close bond with her. And then I don't know. I'm, I, like I said, I'm haunted by the thoughts of her just kind of getting older and just sitting out in the yard by herself. And, you know, my mom and dad would go to work and we were all gone. All, all the kids were gone at that point and just, thinking about her sitting out there all day alone. And then my parents, you know, they got the dog for us. They loved her too, but, you know, they, weren't, they really didn't play with her and everything like she got used to doing. And then, you know, kids grow up and they move on. And I don't know. So I think about her being out alone like that. And I think I've made that connection to other animals that are just not cared for or not loved in the world. And uh, it, it upsets me. And we had, uh, we had actually two rabbits too. This is a really hard story to tell. But um, we, me and my sister were very young, and my father got us rabbits, you know, to teach us how to take care of an animal, how to, you know, how to love an animal, how to be responsible. And uh, we were supposed to feed them, and it was very hot, and uh, we never really had a system in place of who was doing what, and neither one of us ended up feeding them for a few days. I think it was me I do remember seeing them dead, so I think it was me that went out there one day. Uh, I think we realized that neither one of us had been doing it, thinking the other one was doing it, and they didn't have food or water for uh, you know, a few days, and they, they both died. And that was really, it broke my heart. I mean, we cried for days about that. I felt so horrible, and that is honestly sometimes wake up in the middle of the night thinking about that. I feel so bad about it. And I know horrible things happen every day, especially to animals, but that was my responsibility. That was my doing. I could have prevented that. I should have prevented that. I never forgot it. You know, I think everybody has regrets in life, and they feel like, oh, if they chose a different path, maybe they'd be more successful if they had done this and done that. That stuff doesn't mean that much to me. It's these types of moments that I wish I could go back and change. I wish I could save those rabbits. They should not have died that day. And uh, yeah, it was moments like that that probably uh, made me who I am today. As bad as those things were, it made me have a real respect and love and concern for the well-being of animals. It's a very, very special song to me. And uh, I hope uh, hope some of you can connect to that. I I know some of you are probably thinking, uh, oh, this fucking pussy. I got a heart. What can I fucking say? I'm not always so angry. Sometimes there's really two modes to me. I'm usually pretty sad or pretty mad. I can be happy occasionally. But you just saw the other side of me. You see, I think we've heard a lot of anger throughout this podcast, listening to these songs. So I think it was nice to share that side of me with you. And let's move on. We're going to get fucked up again here. These last two songs um, are actually kind of one song. Uh, An Open Door is an introduction to Rubber Ducky Fucker. An Open Door is just an instrumental track, but it's loaded with samples. And the samples are from two of my most favorite movies. And that would be What About Bob with Bill Murray and Richard Dreyfuss. If you haven't seen that, it's completely underrated. It's one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Uh, it was actually directed by Frank Oz. For those of you who don't know, that's Cookie Monster and many other Muppets. Classic movie, and it's very relevant right now with everything going on, with people, uh, you know, afraid to touch anything. And Bob Wiley was ahead of everybody on that one. Doesn't look so nuts now, of course. And uh, the other movie was The Burbs, and that was also sampled in Plastic Messiah. Uh, the main, I want to kill everyone, Satan is good, that's from The Burbs. If you haven't seen that, it's unbelievable. And that was by uh, Joe Dante, who did Gremlins and Small Soldiers and a bunch of other movies. So uh, another underrated movie. Really funny. Check those out if you haven't seen them. And uh, that leads me to, um, well, let's, let's leave it there. Let's listen to an open door and uh, see if I have anything else to say to you about it while we listen. It's funny too because this music actually sounds a lot like, if you've seen the Burbs, um, the neighbors, the, the satanic neighbors there. It's the music, the kind of music they would play when they would, uh, like late at night, if they were. I remember the scene when the guy was throwing out the garbage and beating the shit out of the, the garbage bag as he's trying to stuff it in the garbage can. So this, this organ really has that kind of feel to it anyway. And this is one of the funniest scenes in the movie. <laughs> son about uh, Ray uh, having his balls and his wife's purse. And... If you haven't seen the movie you don't know what the hell I'm talking about but if you've seen it you know how great it is. And this is of course just a part from Rubber Ducky Fucker um, slowed down. That's all it is. And there's Bob Wiley with the Ahoy when he's tied to the the boat when he says he's a sailor now <laughs> he's always afraid of sailing and they put him on the boat and had to tie him to the, uh, the pole whatever the hell it's called and I say this is pretty appropriate for what's coming it's a, it's a very epic introduction to a very epic song <laughs> and that was Bruce Dern uh, one of the, the neighbors uh, There goes the goddamn brownies. Great way to end it. What I love about that, too, is it's, um, you know, if you haven't seen the film, if you hear that, I want to kill everyone, Satan is good, Satan is my pal, you'd think it's some, you know, really fucked up horror movie or something, and it's uh, so you'd kind of be like, oh, and then with the scary organs and everything and the piano, it sounds really freaky. And then, of course, (laughs) don't ask me why the Ahoy is in there from uh, What About Bob, but and then we put the, there goes the goddamn brownies at the end of it. So you know what's coming is absolutely ridiculous. It's a song called Rubber Ducky Fucker. It should tell you all you need to know. Um, let me tell you a little bit about this song, though. Rubber Ducky Fucker is one of our older songs. I wrote this one. This was the only other song on this album that I wrote uh, and programmed along with Plastic Messiah. And the song is supposed to be a parody of death metal. Bands like Deicide and Cannibal Corpse, you know, with these extreme, vulgar lyrics, you know, with these all these uh, disgusting things they say that are just absolutely morbid. And this song is supposed to kind of be a joke. I mean, it's it's supposed to be overboard on purpose. And I think some people back in the day were quite offended by this one, which is strange because if you listen to the rest of our songs, I mean, this shouldn't, this doesn't really. It's not that different than anything else we were doing. We were, the whole album was fucked up. But this one in particular bothered some people. And I did talk about this with John, I believe, how we were supposed to make a video for 8-Bit Piece of Shit, a guy that knew our manager, Dave, and he was very interested in doing it. And I guess he checked out the rest of our stuff. You know, he liked 8-Bit Piece of Shit, was totally down to do the video. And when he heard the rest of our album, this song ruined the whole thing. He accused us of being child molesters and whatever, all these fucking horrible things he was saying to Dave about us. I won't work with somebody like that because he couldn't take a joke. And I think Dave even tried to explain to him, it's like, they're not being serious, you know? And what's strange about that too is who typically plays with rubber ducks? Kids, right? Little kids. So the point of the song is here's this fucking psychopath that wants to just fuck rubber ducks. That's, that's his thing, you know? And if he wants to get to the ducks, he's going to have to probably kill a few kids to get to him. And there's one part um, we'll talk about it when we get there. But in particular, we were very cautious about the way we stated the lyrics. I don't even think we had to be because it's complete satire. It's just it's supposed to be so over the top that it's you couldn't possibly take it seriously. We're not obviously trying to make a statement here, but just in case. We had even thought about that in the studio to make sure there was no confusion about it. And still, some fucking people are just that dumb, I guess. Can't take a joke. All these fucking movies out there that do much more fucked up things that people consider cult classics and all this shit. So, I don't know. Fuck me. Let's take a listen to it. The song you can kind of tell that I programmed it because Dan was a much better uh, drum programmer than me I just I, I either did very basic beats or just insane beats that were just didn't really even make sense I wasn't any kind of drummer so I'm sure anybody that technically understands drums is probably having a fit to listen to some of these songs Yeah, so if you can hear, I hope you slip in the bathtub and break your fucking neck. A lot of violent, vulgar things, and um, rubber ducks typically are found in the bathtub, right? So this is all bathroom-related stuff. Don't ask me what the whole thing about slicing off your tits, take a fucking shit, and fill them up with it, and sew them back on. I, I don't know, I guess people get naked in the bathroom, so it's a catch-em-off-guard Just trying to be over the top, really. The song makes no sense at all, and it's kind of great for that reason. And this right here, this is exactly—if you don't understand the joke of it, kill you, fuck you, hate you, blah blah blah. So what that tells you everything. All these songs are always, "I'm gonna kill you, I'm gonna fuck you, I hate you," and blah 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 blah. blah. <laughs> Duck fuck. I love this part. Penetrate deep inside. This part here that makes no sense. I kick you in the balls with a mashed potato. I fuck you up the ass with a ripe tomato. I don't know. But I like it. I still like it. He's the rubber ducky fucker. I mean, what else would you expect? This guy... But what kick you in the balls with the mashed potato, that seems pretty difficult to do. What do you have to kind of rub it all over your foot first and then kick the guy in the balls? I can understand fucking somebody in the ass with a tomato. Just put the tomato on your dick. Maybe a little uh, cherry tomato or something, plum tomato, whatever the fuck they're called. And here we are back to uh, slicing the tits and here it is this is the uh, an open door this is the part I was telling you about how it's just slowed down a little more this is always my favorite part of the song I think it's pretty terrifying and I love the organ sounds I really I'm, I'm proud of this one it's a shame that I didn't really do a whole lot of programming after this see so here's a baby that's this is the rubber duck, you fucker. This guy is the king of rubber ducks. He, he owns them and finds this kid playing with his duck and he's saying, what the fuck are you doing? And then he is so mad at the kid, I guess he's about to kill the baby to get this rubber duck because that's all he fucking gives a shit about. But here we go. I fuck the duck and save the teeny tiny girl. See, that? that's that's the part we put in, just to be clear. No kids were hurt. He's not interested in hurting the kids. He just wants access to that rubber duck. He just wants to fuck the rubber ducky. So, I don't get it. People hear what they want to hear, and they don't listen to the whole situation, you know? Here we are back fucking people up the ass with tomatoes and smashing balls with potatoes and all that good shit. (laughs) This is one of the most psychotic things we've ever done, I think. (laughs) Wow. That is uh, a crazy song. What's cool about that song, too, is it's... uh, It's one of the more psychotic songs we've ever done, uh, period. Especially, you know, on that album, but it also has kind of a punk feel to it, you know, especially in those chorus parts. Very cool song. And that, my friends, concludes Indoor Recess. And as I told you in the beginning of the episode, I'm going to end this by playing a different mix of Prizefighter. Supposed to be a remix, but it was more of This guy's showing off his skills. I think you'll like it. I think it's pretty fucking awesome. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back shortly with the pop culture massacre. Take care, be safe, and wash your goddamn hands. We'll see you next time. Stay alive. And you